Welcome to Money Memoirs, a taboo-breaking interview series sharing intimately uncensored conversations about money. I am Barry Tesler, a financial therapist, author, and creator of The Art of Money, my year-long money school and global community. Join me as I connect with brave folks from all walks of life to explore their experiences with money from their greatest struggles to triumphant celebrations, to lessons learned, and unexpected discoveries along the way. These interviews are raw, heartfelt money stories. They're vulnerable, inspiring, and always authentic. These interviews are a snapshot of the personal connection and practical support you'll find in my year-long money school, The Art of Money. The Art of Money is a holistic framework that integrates money healing, money practices, and money maps. And it blends together therapeutic body-based practices with so many real life tools that you need to create healthy, sustainable change in your money life. If you'd like to learn more, head to barrytesler.com. For now, get comfy and cozy for another intimately uncensored money memoir. I'm so excited and honored to have Kate Swoboda. I had to pronounce that a few times as I was getting ready. Am I saying that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You've got it. Thank you so much for joining me in this series. Um, I'm just going to say a teeny bit about Kate, and then I'd love her to share more of what's going on in her life right now. And then I want to get into the seven questions, the same seven questions that I'm asking everyone, but of course everyone answers them in such a different, unique way. So Kate, someone who um, I came across on Twitter, and I'm rarely on Twitter and on Facebook, and it was really her articles. Um, It was really her content um, on a big piece of her work called The Coaching Blueprint that really just, um, I kept seeing it you know, different people posting and then I would go to your site and then I got on your list and I just really enjoyed all of the content that you were producing. Um, it, had, it just had so much value. It's very smart. It's saying things in the coaching world that aren't necessarily shared in such an honest, straightforward way and really amazing tools. So I think I started like just writing you a few emails saying, I love this or this is amazing. And I really stalk people like that. I don't think I was fully really stalking you in a loving way, but I was just lovingly like sending hits and that's, you know, hints and that's big. And then recently um, in Portland at the WDS, Um, event we got to just meet each other live throughout the weekend and I was able to I got to meet her and her lovely husband so welcome Kate thank you so much for being here thanks for having me yeah so will you please share just a little bit of a snapshot of what's ever really at the forefront for you of your life of your family of work stuff what what's what's going on right now that you would love to share Mm, um well you mentioned the coaching blueprint that's Mm -hmm. becoming much bigger uh it's going from being a a digital program to being a full-fledged online hub for life coaches uh total community workshops 
mastermind matchmaking. I want to, I want to be doing a little bit of that training coaches mm. to be, I mean, like, it's just really becoming, um, more than this one little program that you heard about mm. on Twitter, uh, yeah. ha- was, or it's becoming certainly more than I ever thought it would be. And through that process, it's just a lot of, um, a lot of learning, a lot of articulating things that I've sort of been working with intuitively and had never really broken down and started to articulate for myself and talking with great people. And, uh, and I just, uh, you know, we're, we're recording this in early September and I decided to take the summer off and just have a summer of fun. Mm -hmm. And now that the summer's over, I think, uh, everything I've been doing this summer, uh, I'm just going to keep on doing because it was fun. <laughs> Good. So <laughs> it was successful. Summer, so <laughs> it was really successful, like having a summer of fun. And was that travel for you? Was that? Mm-hmm. It, was... it was travel. It was not giving myself shit if I wanted to eat out. It mm. was um, not checking email as often and just trusting that like anybody who is going to freak out if they don't get a response within 24 to 48 hours. Like, um, you know, like they probably aren't the best match for me to work mm-hmm. with. So it's yeah. actually just okay to let that go. Um, hmm. I, I just, uh, there's just a greater sense of relaxing around my business that I haven't had for many years. Cause I've been in such a, a mode of trying to build and build and build. And even though now I'm, undertaking what is really the biggest business evolution I've had since I even started, which is creating an entire online hub. You know, the way I kind of set it up, describe it to people is that what I'm intending to create is like pro blogger, but for life coaches, it's pretty big, but it doesn't feel like this overwhelming task. It Mm. just feels like a trust in the moving parts and a, um, a real just enjoyment of the work. So that, feels really, really good. <laughs> mm, wonderful. I That was my experience after years. I've been through many different phases of solo entrepreneur then had a team in solo. But after years of really putting in the hours and time and energy to create and build the foundation in the whole house. And then when I was going to my biggest leap, which was going into my year-long program, The Art of Money, which happened this January, I felt the most calm, <laughs> the most ready, the most matured, just, it felt like the energy had completely shifted and was good and, and led the whole way into, a, it's been a wonderful year. So I love that that's your experience as you're heading into a really big, de- you know, really nice leap for you and for everyone, you know. So, so lovely to go into that calm, you know. Well, shall we dive into... Some money questions and your relationship to money? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So again, of course, this can be as deep, as playful, wherever you want to go and whatever you want to share with us. So the first one is just please share with us how would you describe your relationship to money? Um, Changing hugely. Mm. (laughs) It's in a real state of transition. And I think that that's because... For most of my 20s, I didn't really have any money. So I kind of rode for a long time on the excuse that there was, you know, if there wasn't a lot of money, then there wasn't really a need to learn about 
saving or investing. And that's not to say that I necessarily made irresponsible choices with my money. I'm so grateful that I didn't rack up a bunch of credit card debt in college or, Hmm. um, you know, just, just stuff like that. I'm glad I didn't do that in my twenties, but, um, then I think I got to my thirties and I started making more money and it was like all those years of not having money and the scarcity I felt around that just went wildly unleashed and Mm. something, some mechanism within me was like, woohoo, I get to play now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And what that's meant now that I'm arriving in my mid thirties is that, um, I'm changing from this either or equation of I don't have any money and thus I feel really buckled down and like I can't have fun or I have lots of money and I'm just having fun with it. And now it's like, what's the proportion in that that works for me um, where I still get to have some fun and I still get to um, invest for the future, invest in my future. Um, Really been thinking a lot about more of the emotional terrain of money. I tend not to feel worried or concerned Mm -hmm. about my capacity to pay my bills or balance my checkbook. My internal money gyroscope seems to always like kick in Mm -hmm. um, with the fun that I have, you know, before I can get myself into any like money trouble, like serious debt or like a big, you know, an impulse buy. I seem to have the mechanism in place that stops me from doing that. But um, if there is money there when the bills have been paid, my first impulse is like, I want to have fun with it because mm-hmm. I grew up poor uh, all through my twenties. It was like, I remember after, um, after graduate school, when I had my first job, my treat of the week was a $4 Starbucks chai on Friday one. Mm-hmm. So like to go from that to being an entrepreneur, working for myself, Um, my business has not hit six figures yet, but it came close last year. Yeah. Like to go from $4 chai once a week is a big deal to, um, you could stay at a really nice hotel when Mm. you go to WDS and you can have fun and you can eat out every night and it's totally fine. Mm. Big, huge. Mm. And I'm learning my way with it. Mm. Beautiful. Beautiful. So if you would even say in one sentence, what was your relationship to money? growing up, if you could do that? And what is your relationship to money now? I mean, you just gave us the Mm -hmm. whole terrain and the whole change. But if you had a belief or a feeling in your body? Um, I don't think I had a relationship to money growing up. It felt like it felt like something that everybody else had a relationship to, but I didn't. Hmm. Um, It was a constant problem. Um, interestingly though, um, whenever I've taught classes, I really feel like I can say from a true place of having reconciled the experience of having grown up poor that, um, it's weird. It's like, I don't regret that. I don't, it, it, like, I used to, I used to wildly resent it. I felt like everybody else had gotten something Mm. that I had not had. Um, and now I feel like it made me hungry mm. in the best way. Yeah. It yeah. made me, a, it made me a little ferocious. Mm. It made me a little like, mm. um, 
like it, it made me a go-getter. It yeah. made me somebody who was going to hustle. It made me somebody who was going to hike up my panties and get it done. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and now it's that releasing of the, cause that can have a real grip quality to it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that, that hustling can have a real grip. And now it's like a releasing of the grip now that I've made mm-hmm. money. But like I said, I can see how I went in the other direction. It was like party time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Woohoo. You know? And so that so $4 now it's more about yeah. proportion. I hesitate okay. to say balance. Cause okay. it's like, uh, I don't think anybody's really balanced, but yeah. proportion proportionally to what I make, I would really like to, uh, I'm, it's not a like to, I'm already, and I'm happy about that, Mm -hmm. changing um, how I view the excess that's left over. Mm -hmm. And instead of seeing it as like, that's party money, that's fun money, play money. It's like, some of it's play money and some of it's like play in the future money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you opened up that valve, right? That was really tight. It's opened up. You've given yourself the woohoo. You know, just some celebration, pure celebration. And now you're finding not the word balance, right? But just finding how can I enjoy now and keep celebrating, but also really consider six months, a year, five years, 10 years, even longer. Your story is a really beautiful story about, you know, we're all born with a lot in life. And I work with folks who consider their environment that they grew up in poor or, or would name it middle class or they call it a very wealthy family. And I see strengths and gifts in all of those stories and I see huge challenges in all of those stories. So I love that you've done so much work to really come around and say, yeah, that was hard. That was very hard living through that and experiencing that. And it made you feisty and hungry and to go out there and create. And some people at the opposite end of the spectrum don't have that because everything is given to them. And they're, mm-hmm. you know, they have their own gifts and they have their own challenges. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what would you consider your strengths? around your relationship to money? You've already started to name them, but what what do you say, like, this is an area around how I do money emotionally, practically, spiritually, that I, I want to celebrate, I'm proud of. I feel like I really rock this area. What's uh, one? Two, yeah, yeah, two things, actually. Um, I'm really proud that uh, whether it's a thing or an experience that I've spent money on, it's very rare that I regret purchases. Hmm. Like I truly, I mean, even when I've had credit card debt, there's a part of me that doesn't really feel like too bad about it because like, I mean, like I would only put something on a credit card that I didn't have money in my checking account for if I really felt it was worth it. So I'm very, uh, you know, whenever I've bought something, again, whether it's it's a, a stuff or whether it's an experience like a trip. I'm really behind it. Mm. Uh, I really treasure it. I really think that the things that I bring into my life are beautiful things. They're contemplated. Um, they're they're curated in a way, mm. right? Like like mm. it's like my home, my clothing, the things that I want, the experiences that I want to spend money on are curated. Mm. I would also say that I'm really proud that I left graduate school only ten years ago with. Uh, more than $26,000 in student loans. And now due to always paying more than the minimum, 
than they bill me for. Um, I'm looking to pay off the last of them in the next year or so. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Congratulations on that. That's Thank huge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's huge because that interest could spiral. And so that's wonderful. And it sounds like with your spending and your experiences, you have this inner compass or this radar that mm -hmm. just is on track with, is this a value for me? And is this an alignment with my integrity? And you just naturally make decisions. Well, I saw the consequences of that growing up. Mm. Like, like when I say that I grew up poor, I'm talking about um, the summer where there was a drought in Missouri. So it was, and we didn't have air conditioning. Um, so it was hot as hell. Mm. Um, the utilities were getting turned off. We'd had someone staying with us who left. And when he left his cat, we had a flea outbreak. And like my, uh, my dad took us to the grocery store and said, I've got 20 bucks for food for all of us for the next two yeah. weeks. I need you to help me figure out what to buy. And it was 10. And I had the great idea mm -hmm. of uh, getting pancake mix because all you have to do is add water. And we ate for two weeks pancakes, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And it was like grad school before I could have pancakes again without yeah. feeling sick. And so I really feel like I've seen the consequences of serious debt of serious uh, and, and that's not to paint my father, for instance, as somebody who is always terrible with money. Things happen um, in his case, a divorce happened, a custody battle happened with both of my parents. Things happened. That's not to say that, you know, they didn't make poor money choices at times and great many choices at other times. Mm. Um, it's just more so to say that um, whether the circumstances are intentional or, or sorry, let me rephrase that, whether the circumstances are due to someone doing the best they can and shit just happens or whether the circumstances are somebody just didn't really make the best choices, it doesn't really matter. The mm. consequences are the same. And I saw mm. the consequences of that. So that's like, it ends up being this gift to me that, that like, I want everything in my life to be a beautiful thing that I appreciate because mm -hmm. why would I want to go to that over there where yeah. I'm just struggling to pay utilities? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So, but there wasn't a rebelliousness against that. It was just, you were very clear. That was very challenging. And you made a great decision with the pancakes. You know, I've seen people in graduate school on ramen noodles for weeks on end. Or as adults, they spend too much, you know, and then they are on ramen noodles for weeks on end. So you got that so clearly. And so from there, you're just on track. So every, everything that you do, you're, I can feel how intentional you are. Like you, yeah, like you, I said, though, I do yeah. do this. I have done in the past the thing. And I think it's only really in the past six months or so that I've been starting to turn this around. Okay. Got it. Um, but I have done the thing, like I said, where I will put some money on credit on the on the credit card if I really think that it's worth mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. But then the gyroscope seems to like kick in if like I mean, like I've never you know, taking out a second credit card to pay off the first, for instance, mm -hmm. like that gyroscope seems to go, nope, you get one credit card. You are not allowed to max it out. You will make all, you know, payments. You will yes. pay it off. You'll have a plan. Um, so I feel like there's this, there is this way in which I have rebelled in the sense that I will do things like that. And I'm trying to be transparent about yep. doing that because I really, 
Um, I don't want to come across as if like everything in my money house is just, you know, ticked off all the boxes yeah, yeah, yeah. since I had yeah. a kind of difficult childhood around money. Got it. Got it. I mean, we're going to go into the harder stuff, the more challenges and money shame next, you know, but I, I am hearing that. I mean, you, you gave yourself some room to like just celebrate more and do things that you really love and were excited about and passionate about. And I mean, everyone feels differently about credit cards. So, you know, if you're in the Dave Ramsey camp, you will never use a credit card. If you're in my camp and transitions and different points in our lives with intention, it's a good tool. You know, it's mm. an okay tool. So I'm not on the camp of like, that's never okay. You know, and ultimately I want everyone to be making that decision for themselves, you know? So, okay, so let's, um, I, I want to talk about money shame. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, I believe that we all have money shame. Like we all have a money shame story that we tell ourselves. Some experience that we've had from the past or some belief or something that's played itself through. And it may not be happening anymore today, but do you have one from your past or that's current? Well, you know, like for me at least, it might just be a semantic thing. I tend to reserve the word shame for those things that like feel so ick and embarrassing and humiliating that like to talk about them, I'd pretty much have to be like crying and barely mm. getting the words out. For me, okay. that's that's shame. Um, and I don't feel that I have that around money, but there are things I felt embarrassment or inadequacy about. So maybe that's kind of in how you would define shame. Um, and the thing that I felt the embarrassment or inadequacy about, again, is that at this about six months ago, something really clicked with me where I went, you know, I've been saying to myself all these years that the only reason that I don't have money in savings or more to invest is because I don't have a lot of money. Like I've mm -hmm. kind of like kicked the can, you know, down the line instead of like really actually going, do I have the money to invest mm -hmm. or save right here, right now? And it's like, uh, it's like this tide effect. It's like the tide comes in and the tide comes out. When I made very little money, the tide would come in with very little money and it would go right out with very little money. And I just thought I made an excuse in essence. Oh, it's because I don't have a lot of money. But now that I've got like, a lot of money actually coming into my life or more than I've ever seen before. Yeah. Um, it's like the tide, the money still comes in and the tide still rushes out. Now, to be fair, um, because I do like to be gentle with that little kid side of myself, you know, this mm -hmm. part I keep referring to of like party time. Yeah. Like I recognize that that's a little kid within who never got an opportunity to play with money, who, um, you know, didn't get a lot of experiences that she really wanted when she was younger. And so some mm -hmm. of the things that I've done have been like taking trips or, um, you know, just opting to throw money at a problem instead of taking on like trying all the 15 things to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And I've paid off, uh, as I mentioned, I've paid off a considerable amount of student loan debt. Yeah. But the thing that I look at is like, um, to make as much money as I am now making and to, in essence, not have anything to show for it, to to really 
you know, like if I got into a horrible car accident, knock on wood, you know, it's like, I don't have enough money to recover in my bank account to recover for probably more than like three or four months. And I'm just kind of like, that's crazy to me, like that I, I'm making this much money and I have that little of a cash reserve. Mm -hmm. So that's the type of thing where I go, you know, Kate, you need to, you need to look at this really, because mm -hmm. what's happening is when I make more money, I'm not um, saving more. I'm just having more playtime, mm -hmm. <laughs> which mm -hmm. is a very little kid approach to take. And you know, like I said, it, it, the gentleness is there. And that doesn't mean that she and her money habits and that side of me are supposed okay. to be running the show. It's time for her to grow up a little bit yeah. and see that she can have fun with money. Um, and again, that it can be fun to invest in the future, the fun of the future. Yeah. Well, this is a thing, you know, whenever I start talking about money with people, I, I've seen this in my student community for years. A lot of people talk about they feel like a kid around money or they feel like a teenager totally rebelling against their parents, against culture, the environment they grew up, they're rebelling. Or their relationship to money, they feel like they're infants. You know, So I hear people using this language a lot and I think it's helpful just to identify, okay, I feel mature and adult and responsible in all these areas of my lives. And when it comes to money, not all of my money relationship, you're talking about one area, right? Mm -hmm. But this one yeah, area still Yeah, because it's like I totally... Like balance my checkbook and you know if I do rack up credit card debt I pay it down um you know yeah I mean it's like it's it's it, like I said it's not a spiraling out of control that seems to happen in my life it's just like the tide comes in yeah. the tide goes out and when the tide goes out I'm going wait a second I I put so much time and investment into building my business building a friendship, building my marriage. Yeah. Why am I not putting time and investment into building this area? Yeah. Well, you're asking yourself to change a pattern. The tide mm -hmm. going in, the tide going out, it, there's a nice trust in that. That works for some people. You know, I do know some people that live that. The tide comes in, it goes out, and they choose to live that way in life and with their relationship to money, you know? Mm -hmm. What I hear you're saying is a few things. Is one is just because of how you grew up that, you know, as you started really earning your own money, I, I, I'm, there, there needed to be like time for you to get to experiment and explore and play and party and attend to that little girl and give her some of those things that she never had and let her choose and just, she, she needed to have that time. So yeah, yeah, yeah she did. I, I, she yeah, has. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I mean, I'm really thrilled that she's she's getting that and that you, the, your adult woman, is strong enough that has been able to create what you're creating and then offer this for her, you know? Mm -hmm. And now I hear that you're, you know, you're ready um, to take it to the next step. You know, I, I, I feel like, I mean, our money journey is lifelong, right? We're always tweaking and fine-tuning and adding new things. So you're already telling us, you know, and sharing with us what's next, which yeah. is like, She's had time to play and explore. And now the adult you is, is going to sit her down and have a conversation and say, okay, come on, can we, can we also add in this piece of this future thinking of some future planning while you're also getting to play? And like, how can we just add this in more at the same time? 
you know? Well, and it's really about teaching her to trust because uh, I had this realization recently. I was on the phone with someone who said in relationship to money, we were having a conversation about how we treat money. And she said, you know, I would never like build a house and then just like yank out the windows. So like, why do I sort of treat my money like that? Like I'm Mm -hmm. building something, but then yanking out like a piece of it so that the structure isn't really whole. Mm -hmm. And she was, you know, she's saying, I really want to invest in something and, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and create a long lasting structure. And it just hit me like that. Like, Oh, that's part of how I spend. I go for the guarantee. Like, um, and this is a holdover from childhood, right? Like there was no guarantee that there wouldn't be at any moment a creditor calling or a utility turned off or by the side of the road without gas. There was no guarantee of any of that. And so as an adult, it's like once my basic needs are are taken care of, this little kid within doesn't trust that it's going to be okay in the future. So she goes, I'd rather have the trip now. Because you see, we could put $2,000 or $20,000 or $200,000 in the bank and there could be an Enron, you know, type of situation. I'm I'm not obviously involved in that kind of a thing, but, um, you know, things happen. Good people put their money away all the time and it gets yanked out from under them. I'd rather have the amazing dinner with friends, the trip, the um, Hmm. cute new pair of shoes, you know, because that's a guarantee Mm. and the Mm. other stuff isn't. And so it's like really taking that young child and letting her know like, hey, you and I are like, we're collaborating now. Mm. And I'm an adult who uh, the adult side of me needs, is dialoguing with her, needs to dialogue with her, is, uh, and saying it's okay to trust. We got this. We're going to get this taken care of. Your needs are going to get met. Yeah. And I am to- totally have a capacity for it. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. I keep feeling teary-eyed. Yeah, as... me too. <laughs> I love this, this, this young little girl. I feel like I should send you a picture of me as a little kid to like put with this or something. Please do. So that we all know like this this tender little scrappy Kate, you know, yeah. that like – is still totally there. And I just love honoring and cherishing her. I love having a conversation about honoring Mm. and cherishing her. I think, Mm. I think, um, I think all of us need to dialogue with those little kid parts of ourselves more and, and really see that, that they're very real. And I think a lot of people have an inner kid that's running their money. Oh yeah. (laughs) Their money and spending choices. Oh yeah. Or an infant. Yeah. You have a kid, you actually like, you have, you can talk to her, you know, she's, Verbal. Some are nonverbal, you know? Yeah, I mean, the image I'm getting is you're reaching out your hand and you guys are walking forward, you know, into this next phase. And you're asking her and you're telling her and you're asking her to trust and, you know, you're asking her to grow up with you, actually, Mm -hmm. around this. Um, I don't know if it would be helpful for you, but, you know, one of the things I have people do is I invite people to do money healing rituals. 
and they go back to whatever that age was. And I mean, you're already doing it, you know, having a dialogue with her, talking about like what got hooked in and what beliefs were hooked in and what stories and what needs were being met and what posture and what body feelings, what was happening, you know, at that time. And then bringing your adult self, you know, in and having them talk and, and just letting her know we're, you know, we're going to continue forward, but we are, we are letting go of the unhealthy or unconscious or young parts of that. And it's time to just step forward, you know, into this next place. I know you do ritual to some degree and that looks so different. Well, For and I've done us, that. Yeah. I've done this. Um, mm. your, I mean, my own money journey and looking at how I spend it, it. It's been something I'm always revisiting. Um, and I just would say for anybody listening to this call that if you have not done that kind of a work uh, of an exercise, um, that really they should be hiring you to take yeah. them through that kind of exercise. Because if people want to know like how I've gotten to a place where. Um, I am with my money now, you know, how did, how have I gotten to this place with money now where I can be pretty conscious about it, even though I wouldn't say I'm perfect with it. Um, I would say it's because of hiring people to do things like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, I mean, continuing that, you know, at what, what is one next step of what you're adding in as far as the savings piece? Do you have any concrete, like specific things of, okay, I'm going to set up a savings or you already have, or I have two, three different accounts with different names, or I'm going to hire a financial coach. Do you have a sense of what's, how that, that, that next totally. piece? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, in general, most weeks, um, on Sundays I sit down and I, work with my money. So okay. it's like I log into my accounts, I take receipts out of my wallet, I balance my checkbook, old school, like with a pencil Great. In, in the, um, <laughs> I'm like actually looking around now where, ah, here it is. See, so like old school with like little entries and everything. And, um, hmm. you know, like, yeah, I mean, I deal with everything then. Um, I, that's when I pay bills. Um, so you have a money date, you have a, what I call a money date once a week where you do your money practices. And yeah, it, I do yeah. everything on paper. I love it. I mean, I'll, I'll bill pay electrically, electronically, but in terms of like record keeping, mm -hmm. I do everything on paper with mm. spreadsheets that I've made myself because I've never found a spreadsheet that works that I like because I do uh, work two nights a week uh, teaching at a local college. And so I do have some salaried income in addition to uh, my business income. So it's like, um, given that it's coming from two different places, it's like tracking, okay, here are clients that have been billed. Okay. Um, once a month I log into PayPal and I look at the financial summary report and I actually make a recording mm. of profits for that month. I do hire an accountant. I think that's just for anybody who's in business, it's such a smart move. They know of a gazillion different tax credits that you don't even know about. And um, I mean, obviously I have would have no reason to be audited, but the idea of being audited like sounds really scary to me. Mm. And so um, I've heard that if you have an accountant, you like your chances of being audited are next to nothing. And I'm kind of like, 
that's worth 250 bucks a year. Somebody else does my taxes yeah. and I probably won't get audited because it's all be done, being done correctly. Um, and then it's a tax deductible business expense to pay the guy to do your taxes for you. So that's pretty awesome. Um, and really, I think my biggest focus is actually getting my student loans completely paid off and paying for my car. Mm -hmm. I bought a new car a year ago and kind of my whole approach with paying for things like that is that um, that I, I, I always pay like twenty five dollars at least more than mm -hmm. what the payment is. So mm -hmm. the car pay for things like that that are going to come the same thing every month. So, you know, my car payment is. 250 a month and you know I, I'm paying 275 student loans um, are like 150 a month and I always pay 250 or 275 for student loans like because I just want that debt like out yeah 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 and that feels good so I love that you're on paper um, you know it's if it works it's wonderful and it sounds like you did research some of those bookkeeping tracking yeah. tools and yeah they're, they're not I don't like to pay people for something I can do myself I mm. guess that's another way that mm. I handle money um like I don't really see why I would um hire like an ongoing like a monthly accounting membership or something yeah. when I can just do it myself and yeah. I mean technically I guess PayPal gets paid in the sense that they take a little portion of every um sale that you make mm -hmm. But that's then tax deductible as well, because that is a payment you are making to them because yeah. they are <laughs> handling, you know, so I kind of just go that I can handle. You okay. Know? Um, okay. So, so when you follow that thought through, that makes sense. Those finance charges. I mean, there's Mint, there's iBank, there's Outright. Those are all free, you know, but I love that you're doing it by hand and that it works and that you do it, you know, so that mm -hmm. you, you have a system. This is your money practices. Do, money practices. It's your money practices. Do you come in and review your numbers and have something around that? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I have, um, I, well, it's kind of heavy to pick up, but I'll, I will, um, actually show people. So I have everything on paper. My calendar love it. Love it. is on paper. <laughs> and then between each month, there are little spreadsheets where I, I've actually kind of made. And I, I um, you know what I could do actually, Barry, is I could send them to you if people wanted to see them. Because uh, I don't really want to like show my personal, like every little spend, expense that I have. And some of my clients' names are written down on here too. Yeah, so yeah, that, yeah. that wouldn't be good. But you can just take a screenshot, you know, or and it's not a screenshot. You can take a photo. You no, know, I can send you the yeah, file because right? I print it. What I do is I print out at the beginning of the year, I get my new calendar. I print out um, 12 of these sheets and then I put my new calendar in this three ring binder and then I insert the sheets in between each one. And once a month, I uh, fill out the sheets. I actually record how much I spent on you know, cell phone and utilities and car payment and uh, my my student loans and um, all that stuff. Yeah. And I record how much I paid out in affiliates and I record uh, how much income came in in terms of uh, clients and workshops and training and uh, uh, downloadables, all the yeah. different things I do to make my business run. So yeah. And you check in every month, you check in quarterly, yearly and celebrate and review it and learn from it. 
Mm, it's sudden. Oh, uh, I, don't, I don't celebrate. I mean, uh, I do check in, but it's like, I'm, it's suddenly I'm having a total aha moment right here, right now. Of like, Oh, wow. I, what I do is I check in at, to make sure I have enough, mm, but I don't. Mm-hmm. Okay. I will say the first time I made $10,000 in one month, I was totally celebrating. Good. Now that I was really, I was good. really bad, that <laughs> but, um, but uh, on the whole, I don't have like a quarterly thing. So it's mm-hmm. like weekly, I check in, I log into my bank account. Um, I'm looking at things, you know, I'm making sure charges are correct. I'm balancing my checkbook. And I do check in with these sheets that I've mentioned. And for sure, monthly, I'm yeah. really going over these printed out sheets that I've created that I've mentioned. So. Right. Great. So this is a thing is that we have to craft and create our own money practices. Like mine's going to look my way. Yours going to, there's, there's no right way. There's so many options for how to create a money practice and how often to attend to this and what to do. So I love that you're doing that. Oh, um, and I pay yeah. myself from my business the way that I used to get paid from like an HR department when, mm-hmm. when all my income was salaried. So it's like I have paydays where I transfer money from PayPal to my personal account. Wonderful, wonderful. So exactly that, like as a next step, I think we started talking about savings a little bit and then we went off. Is there, yeah? First step is debt reduction. So getting student loans and car payments done because I spend approximately 500 on those a month. Yeah. And I'm like, if I can just knock those out Mm. and then instead of, seeing it as $500 of play money, yeah. spending, you know, hitting $500 over to the good old savings account, which yes, I do have, then that is like, that's a pretty fast accruing nest egg. I think $500 a month is, you know, pretty healthy amount, I think, to put into savings yeah, it as is. a baseline. Oh, it, it is. It's really significant. Okay. So I have two more questions for you. One's a harder one and one's a, a nicer, larger perspective. So the harder one is just, you know, would you share one money experience that you had that was really hard for you, that was messy or, you know, yeah, a really challenging money experience that you had. And I'd love to hear some of the gory details. I'd love to hear how how you took yourself through that, what you learned from it. Do you have one of those to share? Oh, yeah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Um, Oh, the, the, so I had a cat who was not really a cat, like a cat who was, her name was Poppy, she was like a soul animal, you know, like I have two cats now. They're just cats. Okay. This cat was like, I don't, I, I, I used to think people were complete idiots when they would talk about their pets being like a member of the family. Mm-hmm. And I now realize I was the idiot, right? Like I, I had this cat. She was like a member of the family, loved this cat. And uh, she got really, really sick, and I had no money for the vet bills. And to stand in the vet's office and to love this little being as if she were a real person and feel like, um, you know, she could receive treatment, but I just hadn't put aside the money to, to, anticipate this sort of a thing Mm. felt really, really terrible. And what I ended up doing actually, um, so that was one thing. And, you know, the thing I, I learned was like, Hey, that's not cool. 
got to start like really actually putting aside some kind of money. And at that mm-hmm. point, that was that was one of the entry points. This was back in 2010, 2011. Um, so that's one of the places where I really started to get more serious about handling my money. Um, I at that time, I ended up taking out a high interest credit card to pay for the vet bill. It was thousands of dollars. Um, I found an extra teaching position. I made myself totally sick teaching, all, like running around teaching all these classes and stressed out. I completely burned out my adrenals. And then I ended up losing my cat anyway. Mm. And looking back, I realized that um, the things that I learned is that money um, should not be that that it's good to have some parameters around even things like pets. Uh, looking back, she suffered longer than she needed to. And I just wish that as unfortunate as it sounds, I wish at the time that I had just put her to sleep because I really just ended up spending a ton of money for a cat who's just really quite sick. And I was just so emotionally caught up in things. Um, and I realized that um, that I had thought that that the amount of money I spent would guarantee a result. Okay. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like mm-hmm. I thought that mm-hmm. surely because I had worked so hard and sacrificed so much, there would be this result where this incredible, wonderful friend really mm-hmm. would still be in my life. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, no, right? No, there aren't guarantees with money. And so the decisions that I make about money shouldn't be about attaching to a result. Yeah, yeah. They've got to actually be about what's in the best interest in the holistic picture of of my life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I wonder if that moment it stemmed from you you felt bad, you were really upset that you did not have the money saved originally, Mm -hmm. or you hadn't even, okay. Yeah. And and then that which it does sometimes is we go into pure emotion or we just lead then from a money decision and we're going to do anything and everything. Oh, excuse me. Um, excuse me. Oops. Why? Okay. My husband. Oh, so sorry. My husband's just calendar came up. Okay. okay. <laughs> and then we go right into just like I'm going to do anything and everything and we contort ourselves and we teach too much and do something that's really not in alignment, you know, Mm -hmm. but we, so it sounds like you got off track, which happens. Right. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got out of alignment, you know, because everything became, I, this is my, one of my soulmates and this, this is one of my closest friends and I want to do everything. And I'm so upset. I didn't save the money. And then you did way too much, but that's what we do, right? So you know where I see people doing this the most actually is um, around setting up their businesses. Mm, Yeah, like people get to a point where they are so sick of a quote unquote soul sucking job. Which, by the way, if we're taking a hundred percent responsibility, ninety nine point nine percent of the time when I talk to somebody who's like, I have to get out of my soul sucking job, they haven't usually actually done everything that they could to make it less soul sucking. Mm -hmm. Like they have a horrible boss, but they're afraid to stand up to the boss. And it's like, you know, if you would stand up to that boss, 
like you might actually improve circumstances at work and you got to have the courage to try that. But I've met people who hate their jobs so much that they leap into entrepreneurship and then they do exactly the same thing I did. They rack up debt. They totally burn out their adrenals and get really, really stressed out. And then if it doesn't work out the way they were hoping it to for Mm. it to, which for most people, it's going to take like two years. So or three. Yeah or three or four, Mm -hmm. um, you know, or five or six, um, (laughs) it, it really can become the type of thing where somebody goes, I don't understand. I worked so hard. Shouldn't I have gotten this result? And it's kind of like, no, like sometimes in life, you've got a cat whose kidneys are failing and no amount of medical care is going to do anything for her. And sometimes in life, you, it takes more than six months to get a business really growing and blowing up. And that's just kind of how it rolls. And it's not necessarily proportionate to effort. And that's a tough lesson to learn. It is. And with, and with your cat, you just may not have been ready to let her go or may not. Yeah. You were, so you needed to do all of that contorting and overgiving and overextending and, you know, actually making an investment. Like sometimes a lot of our lessons come with a price tag. Sometimes yeah. they do, you know, I mean, and, and then with the business stuff, it's, I, that was like one of the, and the biggest lessons I've learned is growing a business is just learning how to say no better. If it doesn't feel right, my body, I know you have similar, you know, we're always checking with our body. If it doesn't feel right to collaborate with somebody, if it doesn't feel right to do this piece, like you, you have, we have to listen to that. And at the beginning, we just overextend and we yeah. say yes to everything. Um, and, and we do that. And that's sometimes how we learn our lessons, you know? So do you feel different about that experience now? Is there still pain around it or do you feel like? No, I feel it? like I learned what I needed to learn. And Poppy's little collar is around the gear shift in my car. Mm-hmm. I, you know, she's just, um, she's just one of those wonderful souls that comes into someone's life. And, Mm. um, I'm really clear that (laughs) sometimes um, my husband and I all talk about that experience and we'll kind of look over at the two cats we have now and be like, just gotta let you guys know, like, (laughs) we're not doing that again. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Like, okay. So don't get sick. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and that's good. I mean, it's good to be playful in that way. It's good to be clear. It's good to get, let them know, you know, what, what, what's, what's going to happen and not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. So my last question for you, and I'm going to read it because I want to get it. So what's the most important nugget of money wisdom that you would wish to pass on to young people? And really, what is the money legacy that you wish to leave? Hmm. I thought about this um, and it's don't buy what you can't afford. Hmm. And Hmm. what I mean by that is not just the way one might immediately interpret that. Um, Don't buy what you can't afford in the sense that, you know, like I said, I'm really glad that I didn't rack up credit card debt. I left college with no credit card debt, Hmm. Um, student loans. That's it. I did not buy a brand new car first thing out of college when I got my first job And I have friends who are still paying those things off years and years later. And um, so don't buy what you can't afford um, under those circumstances, uh, because this is about really thinking about what young people are paving the way for. But also, I kind of think, well, so in the same way that I said, don't, 
I don't buy anything. I tend not to get anything that I, I don't wildly love. To me, to buy something that I don't wildly love, that it doesn't feel carefully curated for my life, mm. would be buying something I can't afford. Yeah, that's your definition. Yeah. Yeah, it's like mm. I could have the money in the bank for it, but if it just becomes clutter, mm. that's not something I can afford. Like mm. it just like because as soon as something becomes clutter, it automatically becomes an energetic drain if it's not a financial drain. Mm, mm. So do you even, do you do a body check-in? Do you ask yourself questions? Do you, you Yeah, know, I got to feel good about it. I mean, just, you just got to feel good about it. I got to feel good about yeah. it. And if I don't feel good about it, um I just I just won't get it. Like I'm just so clear. It's kind of like um it, it, this is like the worst example, I guess. But it's kind of like, you know how you can have one glass of wine and you're contemplating having the second and you're kind of like, <laughs> If I had the second, things could get a little out of control here. Um, me and chocolate, yes. Me and wine. I One is like, I'm so already tipsy that, you know, I don't even think. But yes, me and chocolate, yes. Yeah, it's, it's like that. It's like, it, I'm really clear that that this is going to put, well, or overeating. I mean, yes. you know, yes. like if I, I'm really clear that if I get seconds mm. on this, mm. I'm going to take what would otherwise be a lovely meal mm. and create an experience for myself where I don't feel good in my body. Mm. And so, um, I, yeah, the, the stress of having something that I don't feel good about having in my life outweighs the impulse to buy it. I just, I think mm. that anything that you aren't wildly in love with having in your life is something you cannot afford. Mm. I love that. I love that. You know, when I was in my early twenties and I was just starting to do authentic movement, um, the practice of authentic movement, I don't know if you know it, it's similar to somatic experiencing all of that. You're just really listening in to your body, um, noticing sensations, moving that into movement or sound and I remember, I think I was 23 and I was able to know when I was hungry and when I was full. And I thought, oh my God, what a revelation that was as a young girl after overeating or undereating, you know, yeah. you know, up until then. I mean, it was really, it was like that little tool, <laughs> that little awareness tool was so huge for me around my relationship to food. Um, and I bring that tool into all of my money work as well. So I love that you're bringing us just right back around, you know, to, you know, to, to that metaphor of, you know, is this new pair of shoes or dinner out or traveling or whatever it is, is it that just right bite, you know, or is it that bite that's just going to push it all over? and make you feel too fill and yucky and that's such a simple and profound and know, we're really method. like we're referencing a lot of different things right but we could remove the content and really at least in my language this is all about the courage to trust yourself yeah, yeah. so like whether it's money you're working with or food you're working with or relationship you're working with I, it, you know like this is all about if you just remove the content the subject at hand it's really about mm. what what feels true for me in my body um as you were mentioning and so um one thing that that I would suggest for people who are listening to this is that if there's an area of their lives where they know that they're really good at that see if you can transfer it like mm. I'm really clear that I'm good at that um 
with eating, for instance, I'm, I like, I hate taking that. Even if something tastes really good, I hate taking that three extra bites that ends up making me feel bloated and kind of mm -hmm. afterwards, like it ruins the meal. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's, it's like, I've actually been thinking about things like, mm -hmm. how can I translate some of those things to money? And mm -hmm. speaking of, I'm, that's not a, a unique thought. I mean, Janine Roth wrote an amazing book. I thought lost yeah. and found on our relationship to money and, and the similarity to our relationship to food. And I thought it was incredibly profound. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Kate, thank you so much for your time, for your energy for your honesty, um, for your stories. Thank mm -hmm. you. And for your wisdom. And for your Thank wisdom. you so much for having me. It's been yeah. a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for joining me with this money memoir interview. I really hope you found something here to take with you, whether it was a lesson, some inspiration, or even just a little grace for yourself and where you are in your money journey. If you're feeling called to wade deeper here, please pack your financial goals, soul deep aspirations, and grab your favorite person. The Art of Money is a holistic framework that integrates money healing, money practices, and money maps, and blends therapeutic, body-based practices with real-life tools that we all need to create healthy, sustainable change in our money lives. So. If you'd like to begin your money healing journey with the art of money today, learn more at barrytesler.com.